Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. Tim, uh, happy February. Um, happy yep. Oscar season. It's finally here. <laughs> We've been waiting with bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, it's, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. You don't know what the best movies of the year are until the Oscars. Um, put, oh, put, put that pin in the map. And they always get it right, which is That's, great. That is 100% correct. The Oscars have never gotten it wrong in 94 years. No. And um, that's <laughs> that's definitely how they want to hear it. Uh, <laughs> and Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new Oscar-nominated psychological drama, The Lost Daughter, which you can now stream on the Netflix that will be in the back half of the show, but as you may have inferred, um, because you weren't paying attention with all the news in the last week or so, uh, they did announce the Oscar nominations uh, last Tuesday. So it was a wee bit after we typically record the show, but it is uh, allowing us with uh, Tim here and now. I mean, not not to you know make make secondary the really great sort of oral history of jackass that we did last week with peter because i i found that very informative i don't know if if you did tim or if our audience did but uh i'm I, i'm glad i now have this solid foundational understanding of jackass that peter provided yeah it's good to have that really um <laughs> it, it's good to really dig deep in, into into jackass into the the history and the Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be up for an Oscar. <laughs> Maybe next year. <laughs> um, so the the nominations came out. Um, maybe just to do a quick overview, the picture that won the most nominations was Power of the Dog. Jane Campion uh, uh, was Best Director. Uh, acting nominations in every category. Um, so Benedict Cumberbatch for Best Actor. Uh, well, maybe not every category. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons yeah. supporting and Cody Smith McPhee also supporting. That was a twofer. And Kirsten Dunst. Yep. And uh, so then, so that, what is that? Six. So there were six other nominations. I won't go over them all. <laughs> uh, the second most went to Dune, uh, the Denny Villeneuve adaptation. Although strangely, no best director nomination for Denny Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. He wasn't alone in that. Uh, Nightmare Alley did get a uh, Best Picture nomination. Guillermo del Toro, no commensurate Best Director nomination. Um, and then in third place, you have a tie for third place with seven nominations each. West Side Story at Belfast. West Side Story notable because it is, uh, I think, the only time in Oscar history a adaptation has been nominated twice for Best Picture. West Side Story won Best Picture in 61, and um, it could possibly win Best Picture in 2022. I'm not 100% sure that may be something that comes true, but it's a possibility. But Tim, um, any sort of overall thoughts about the Oscar nominations this year? Yeah, Adam, uh, it, I was looking at the categories, and it's tough. I, I think myself like most people even though we probably see more movies than the average 
average person, it's tough to see everything. And, Mm. you know, and it'd be good. Like there's some like licorice pizza and drive my car, Japanese movie. That's getting a lot of acclaim. Mm -hmm. That'd be, it'd be nice to see before the ceremony. And I imagine we'll get opportunities before, hopefully they will be streaming before that, Mm -hmm. but it's tough to, to uh, judge any of the categories, but I'd say that there's two categories where I've seen every film Mm. Um, actor in a leading role. Mm-hmm. And film editing, I've seen every, <laughs> every often, often overlooked film editing category. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. It's often it's the uh, the top pictures, right? Because you have to put them together, and mm. yeah, it's the editors who uh, fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was looking at the um, actors in a leading role, and yeah, I like I like the nominees for it. Um, there, there's one nominee I, I would have nominated Joaquin Phoenix for "Come On, Come On," mm. which I think is an excellent performance. And it it's weird because in the in Joker, I just hated that movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he won the Best Actor, and now I wanted him to be. It wasn't even nominated for uh, "Come On, Come On," which I I thought was an excellent movie, and. Um, the uh, actor who plays his nephew, I thought should probably be nominated too for best supporting. Mm. Um, but the actors, um, I do like all of them. I would probably replace Javier Bardem with Joaquin Phoenix. Mm. I thought Javier Bardem was very good in uh, being the Ricardos. He's a very charming person and actor. So mm-hmm. I think he, he has a great presence in movies and he can almost sometimes almost like play himself in a way. Um, mm-hmm. So I wasn't, I, I really, I thought it was a really good performance, but it didn't like blow my mind. Mm. Um, but I thought, I really think Benedict Cumberbatch in uh, Power of the Dog was excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Smith was excellent in King Richard. Mm. Um, so I would probably choose between those two. I'm not sure who I'd choose. Probably just mm. like f- flip a coin to pick. Um, but yeah, I thought there was a, uh, yeah, I, I agree. And, and and I just recently saw the tragedy of Macbeth with uh, Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's 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 terrific in that. He's fully committed to the role and definitely worth the uh, nomination. I think he's an actor you kind of take for granted. He mm. just gets nominated so much and he's s- such a strong actor like a Meryl Streep or, you know, somebody that you just expect to give great performances. Right. So I think it's, it's tough, almost tough for an actor like him in that you just, ex- you, you expect it, you, you know, he's going to get nominated. So you kind of overlook him. I think once it comes, once it probably comes time to vote for who, who wins the actual trophy, um, much, yeah. much like probably Meryl Streep at this point too, or Tom Hanks or anybody like that. It's worth noting that, you know, Denzel and Javier are kind of, I believe Javier Bardem one i think it was no country for old men he won um so they they are past winners cumberbatch and smith are both like i don't think has cumberbatch been nominated before i don't think he has maybe he has and i can't remember i but, think he has for that i hadn't seen the movie the one where he was like the decoding oh right the where he played um turing alan turing yeah yeah um <laughs> obviously hasn't had long legs if we obviously can't remember the film but um yeah you know they're both kind of obvious picks for 
best actor having you know will smith not to imply cynical intent to his movie making selections but you know playing serena and venus williams father in a biopic seems like kind of an obvious kind of play to win an oscar mm-hmm. so i mean i think those are the the two probably uh front runners um but when you have kind of like two strong contenders like that it's possible that someone could plow up the middle which is why i would not discount andrew garfield either because i mean that was also a mm-hmm. very that was a very strong like lead in a musical and uh he carries a lot of it on his shoulders because i mean mostly it originated as a one-man show anyway so that kind of is still in the dna um you mentioned lady of Macbeth. i'm gonna mention one snub from lady Mac- from from the tragedy of Macbeth. Catherine Hunter, no Best Supporting Actress nomination for Catherine Hunter as the three sisters in the tragedy of Macbeth. That is an oversight. That is a drastic oversight. Yeah. That I will not abide. (laughs) I will not abide. (laughs) So talking in Shakespeare speak here. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's it's just it's 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 just it that is it's such a mesmerizing performance, and it's such you know, it's the weird sisters or the the three sisters, however you want to refer to them, are, you know, it, it it's such a role that you expect something weird from in the first place. Um, and it's all it's almost always played um up for like the witchy aspect of it. So a lot of like, you know, ha- you know, the pointy hats and you know, uh, warts and mm-hmm. things. It's, it's just played so stereotypically. It's it's it was just so refreshing to see somebody do something really new and innovative. And and she has such great. I mean, it isn't just like a performance with voice and and face. It's a whole physical performance. And I feel like, um, uh, it just. Uh, the more I talk about it, the angrier I get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the Oscars seem to miss the mark every year. For something like this, like I was thinking, Willem Dafoe for the Lighthouse. Oh yes! Like how how yes. was he not nominated? Not even nominated, right? And then you think like Uncut Gems, like all the acting in that, like not yeah. even just Adam Sandler, but yeah, um, the yeah. supporting actors, um, Eric Bogosian. Like how? Eric, like, yes, you know, yes. they don't. It's and I think they kind of go name recognition. You know, like when I like Best Supporting Actor, J.K. Simmons for. Uh, for being the Ricardos. Um, mm, I like mm, him, you yeah. know, and it's a decent performance, but it's what we've seen before. He plays like this curmudgeon with a heart of gold. Yeah. He's kind of on the periphery of it. You know, he is a supporting actor. So, that, but he's like on, on the periphery and there's so many other roles that are probably deserving. I like, mean, the whole, the whole thing with like the, being the Ricardos, it's a perfectly fine film. Um, but like a lot of Sorkin films, it plays into like he he has all of these traps um, that that he kind of falls into. No matter the material, he he turns like every sort of like you know the last his last three films have been based on true stories, mm-hmm. but um, they don't feel ter- they all feel like Aaron Sorkin movies. They don't feel like three different stories. He he, he kind of molds the material to his particular. Um, pattern and his own particular pattern and yeah that i, I that's that's kind of why the, the like jk simmons uh he might as well be playing like leo mcgarry or he might as well be playing um 
uh, what's his face on Newsnight, the Sam Watterson character. Like, there's always that curmudgeon character who's like also the the mentor figure. It's it's just yeah. it, it's it's what Aaron Sorkin does. He has these archetypes that he molds every material to to fit. Yeah, and I would replace him with uh, recently saw Coda, mm. and I was happy that the father. Uh, deaf American actor Troy Kotzer is nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. But I thought in that film, so much of it is carried by another supporting actor the plays the choir teacher, mm-hmm. um, Eugenio Gonzalez Derbez, uh, who's a Mexican a- actor. And I looked him up and he's like one of the most famous Mexican actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and he plays uh, Mr. V, they call him, Villa, Villa Lobos, but everyone calls him <laughs> Mr. V. And he's just, He's terrific in it, and uh, it, it brought back vibes of like Tick Tick Boom, mm. um, that that kind of energy. He has that kind of energy in his classroom, um, and he's you, you know um, the the lead lead uh, lead character. She's the daughter. She's the child of deaf adults, which is mm. the acronym Child of Deaf Adults, mm-hmm. and he he takes her on he's like her mentor to get her into Berkeley music school. Cause she's an excellent singer. And I just thought, thought he was so funny. Um, but you know, so real and, you know, so exciting to watch. And I just feel like that would be a much more interesting nomination than even though I love JK Simmons, you know, like from his past roles, but much more interesting than him. And I think it's sort of like he gets it, out of name recognition and also he's in an Aaron Sorkin film that probably everybody saw. Yeah. Um, but I would definitely put uh, Mr. Derbez in there instead of him. And, you know, much more interesting choice, I think. Yeah. And we're, we've talked a lot of movies and where you can find them. I know that licorice pizza is currently at the Pergola galaxy cinema in the mm-hmm. South end. So people can check that out there. Coda is streaming on Apple TV Plus, so if people have yeah. Apple TV, um, they can find that easy enough. Drive My Car, interestingly, is at the bookshelf starting this coming weekend, so okay. people will be able to check it out. And a lot of these, I mean, fortunately, this is kind of a trend on them, um, given the pandemic still. A lot of this is available VOD, Belfast, you can get VOD. Uh, Don't Look Up is on Netflix, obviously. Um, Dune is on VOD. So is King Richard. Nightmare Alley, I believe, will be available on VOD around March, the first week of March. And it was announced this week that West Side Story will be on Disney Plus starting on, I think, March 2nd as well. So So it's good to know. Yeah. So it's, I mean, if you can go and see these things in theaters and if you feel comfortable seeing them in theaters i think that is key um i i would highly recommend it um but uh alternatively um uh, pretty much all of these films we're talking about will be available before the oscars uh with the possible exception of worst person in the world um which i don't think gets, even gets a full release until <laughs> until <laughs> I don't even know when. I mean, it, it's it seems to be coming out in just drips and drabs. It's the worst but. release in the world. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think I I think the distributors have earned that uh, because I mean I've been hearing about this movie since since last summer. 
like it's it was starting appearing at festivals and things and like it was the 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 buzz about it was just so overwhelming um it seems weird that we have still yet to see it um but i mean that's sometimes the way this goes i guess yeah and what do you think of don't look up being nominated for best picture i haven't seen it and the thing that's like kept me away from it is like the very mixed reactions to it um because it's um you've had some people saying like oh it's it's a great comedy that speaks to the moment and other people like well it's you know kind of pedantic and it it goes exactly where you expect it to so i mean and i I think that's for a lot of like belfast too to an extent um depending on who you're talking to it's like it's either uh campy and saccharine and 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 in like the best possible way and then if you talk to somebody else it's campy and saccharine and um overly moralistic in the worst possible way so it's i mean on the other hand it it seems like belfast is something that's like built for oscars which (laughs) sometimes these movies are you know thinking about green book thinking about the king's speech and sometimes those end up being the movies that win and then three years later everyone looks back going what the hell were we thinking but yeah well i've i've seen don't look up and uh i really like the message behind Mm it Mm -hmm. and i think now it's tough to separate the message from the quality of the film right so mm. like i th- think even adam mckay on social media is, is saying like the if you criticize the movie almost you're going against the message but really it's got some of the worst acting i've ever seen by meryl streep mm. and and i was con- i was kind of concerned that leonardo dicaprio would like get a nomination um, cause he's really going for it, but it's, mm-hmm. it's really, I don't know. It's sort of cringeworthy sometimes. Some, some of, some of his acting and there are funny moments. Adam McKay obviously comes from that comedic a tradition and it's in, in his blood, but mm. I don't think it nearly lands as well as it wants to. Mm-hmm. I think it wants to be like Dr. Strangelove and it's mm-hmm. like, m- light years away from that so you know it, people forget pro- that dr strangelove is dark it is a dark yeah. movie um i mean it's 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 funny but it is a dark movie and you have and, to you have to go there <laughs> yeah and this this is dark dark too right okay. like it's it's like okay yeah this is the world's going to end wake up everyone kind of thing mm. but it just it it doesn't land because i think there's just too many characters who don't come across at all as real, which I know in satire, you want to heighten everything, but mm. some of them are just, I don't know. It, it just, it just was loud and over, almost overextended. It's welcome too. there's a credit sequence as well. Mm. Like after, after everything's taken place where mm. uh, there you know there's like these dinosaur type creatures who are attacking them and it's just (laughs) it's just you might you might have sold me on it (laughs) yeah you might you know it's just yeah it's kind of funny like and like i i think most people 
like the 90 percenters will be on in favor of the message on this, but mm-hmm. I think the execution's just not there. And Adam McKay, like with vice, it was kind of similar. It's like, mm-hmm. everyone knows Dick Cheney's a horrible person, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of, I don't know, preaching. And I don't think, I don't think that works well in a film, maybe even better on like stage play or something, you know, to be, just have like over the top acting and preaching when you see it in a film, Mm. I don't know. It didn't, didn't come across as, as like a coherent piece to me. So yeah. Lynn, Lynn Cheney was the most interesting character in um, vice, but it it wasn't about her. It was about um, Christian Bale looking old and fat. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I I hear you about the preaching as, which, I mean, and also I think Leonardo DiCaprio might be the wrong messenger because I mean, yeah, he he talks a lot about global climate change and that's cool, but um, you know, the guy who flies in private jets and hangs out with supermodels on yachts may not be the ideal messenger. Yeah, thinking. I mean, and, just from an optics point of view, so it's yeah, yeah, and his character is the lead in it, and he's. He's almost like a Fauci character. He's supposed to be this mm. scientist. He's all about science, and he's mm. not good. In, he's not good in front of the camera or with the media. Right. But then they bring him on a morning talk show, this really gossipy show, and people like him. Just it reminds you like Fauci. Oh, now he's like this media sensation, so they want to have him on every week. Right. And he's having to like compromise his his ideals for these shows and not telling people the total truth. Right. And there's a Meryl Streep is like a Donald Trump president (laughs) and he has to follow what she says. And, you know, it's in theory, it should work, but it's just the execution. I thought the execution was really bad, but you know, it's interesting if it's nominated for nominated for best picture, if it were to win, that'd be pretty wild though. I, I, I didn't like it, but it would be kind of interesting to see that if it, it, it won the best picture. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps it's more fit for a Razzie nomination, which is a, uh, the segue we're going with the talk because the Razzies were announced uh, the day before the Oscars. I think they were also awarded the day before the Oscars are awarded. And I just, I, I want to, I just want to note because like, I think the Razzies are getting lazier and lazier because the, the nominees this year included something called Diana, the musical which I had not heard of. Uh, but apparently one of the producers is Frank Marshall, who um, is freak, one of Steven Spielberg's frequent collaborators. Um, so, uh, and then and there was another movie called Karen, which I think is meant to be uh, about the derisive stereotype of the Karen. Um, Space Jam, A New Legacy, which I think is like shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, I don't know anyone who said let's let's shower space jam a new legacy with praise and it's it's single-handed worship at the feet of ip infinite which is essentially like the matrix and the highlander in the equilibrium universe which is as awful as it sounds and then the woman in the window which was this amy adams uh movie directed by joe wright that was kind of a terrible forced remake of rear window um but i mean there are a couple of these like they gave a whole category to bruce willis who uh which 
it's it's fine. Like if you want to, you know, you want to, you want to rub it in Bruce Willis's face that he's not <laughs> in it for the art anymore. I think he's firmly aware he's not in it for the art anymore. But I digress. Um, but I mean, some of this is like, like they've been Affleck a worst supporting actor nomination for the last duel. Uh, which he does definitely does not deserve. And in fact, some people are talking about he was snubbed um, in the Oscars. Um, but because it's Ben Affleck and he's done a lot of horrible things, uh, the Razzies are just like, okay, let's throw Ben Affleck a nomination. Um, and then Megan Fox was nominated for Worst Actress for this movie, Midnight in the Switchgrass, which is like one of these action movies that kind of crank out on a weekly basis now. But I was like reading reviews of, of Midnight in the Switchgrass and m- those reviews did not like heap score on Megan Fox. In fact, I, I think it was AV Club that in, in one review I read. There was like, she was the best part of Midnight in the Switchgrass. Not a great movie, but she is fine in it. But because Megan Fox is who she is, we're just going to throw a, a dart at her, which is maybe unfair. So I just wanted to shine a light on the laziness of this year's Razzie nominations. And Tom and Jerry, I mean, that's that's shooting. It's just shooting fish in a barrel. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I think they're going name recognition with like Jared Leto and uh, Ben yes. Affleck for sure. Jared they're, Leto is the other yeah. one. Yeah. They're, because, they're, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. But yeah. Uh, and I think. They kind of have a history of that. I did like some research into the first Razzies <laughs> and the first Razzies, the shining and dressed to kill were nominated Oh, which are God. like two of my favorite movies of all time. But I think you can see they're both kind of over the top, like in the shining Jack Nicholson's character and dress to kill Michael Caine is like this cross dresser. It's kind of mm. psychologist. It's it, they're They're both like over the top. And, you know, just cause you're over the top doesn't mean you're a, it's a bad performance that might be no. what the performance calls for. Right. So I, that's, that's a great point is, you know, some, sometimes things look better with age, but I speak looking specifically at the Jared Leto nomination. If you are nominating Jared Leto for house of Gucci in the, these acting categories, you have to also nominate lady Gaga, mm-hmm. uh, Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons, um, maybe Adam driver too, because they're all kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And to, to single out Jared Leto, <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel, you know, I don't want to come to Jared Leto's defense. Why are you making me come to Jared Leto's defense? But on, like, honestly, <laughs> that's that, that, again, that's shooting fish in a barrel. And I think to single him out when everybody in that movie is doing the exact same thing. Um, no, that's that's you taking it on on Jared Leto. Yeah. And you're not I, I think the Razzies are in good fun and a lot of people attend them, but I think mm-hmm. they're also supposed to be like shaming people a bit. So mm-hmm. like, I really thought the Bruce Willis category is funny, but I could see him going there and just saying, yeah, thanks for the awards and loving yeah. the press and stuff. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's not, I don't know. It almost should. Yeah. If there's the shame aspect should just be on people who are just <laughs> wasting our time with movies or something, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like there's there's I mean, there's stuff they could have highlighted that um, was probably more fitting. But I mean, giving like I, I think you're right about Bruce Willis. He will show up. I mean, if they can get him in and out of there in 15 minutes, he'll do it. But I, I think just because <laughs> a lot a lot he makes a lot of those movies predicated on the idea that like he can get in and out in like an hour or like a day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then yeah. they slap his face on the poster and it looks like he's in the whole movie, but he's in like three scenes. 
a pretty good gig. He, he's got it figured out, actually, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I mean, that's another reason why the, the category just seems so useless, because I think Bruce Willis knows exactly what he's doing. And he's he's at a point in his career where he just doesn't care. So why should he care about this? Um, we're going to talk about why you should care about The Lost Daughter, that Oscar nominated movie that we have been keeping our powder dry for because we're dedicating the whole next half hour to it. You're listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. She's not calming down. Yeah. It's been a weird day. We found her and then she lost her doll. I used to have a doll like that. Called Mina. Mina? Mina. Or Mini Mama, as my mother called her. You'll find her. And that was a clip from The Lost Daughter. It is the new film from writer and director Maggie Gyllenhaal, and it stars Olivia Coleman, Jesse Buckley, Dakota Johnson, Ed Harris, Dagmara Dominiques, Paul Mescal, and Peter Skarsgård. Whew, boy, this cool. was this was something. I don't... <laughs> I mean, I mean, what that happened? The... <laughs> I mean that in the best possible way um, because I I did not. I went into this not knowing what to expect, um, except that it was a drama. But um, wow, it is deeply uncomfortable at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, s- sort of like weirdly joyful at other times. Um, but I cannot believe this is the first thing that Maggie Gyllenhaal has ever directed because i i i I went at the end of this i thought for sure maybe she'd done some like episodes of tv or uh a short film no this is the first thing she ever directed and it is awesome (laughs) yeah oh it's amazing and you think like an actor directing their first feature that you know a lot of dialogue or a Mm -hmm. lot of and Mm -hmm. this is just it's totally cinematic Mm -hmm. like there's so so much silence in it which is excellent for building the tension and yeah it seems like she's experienced at this um <laughs> and she adapted this the screen uh, screenplays adapted from a novel mm-hmm. um so she adapted that herself and she directed herself mm-hmm. um so that's yeah it's amazing i've always found her to be an interesting actor and now it's i think sky's the limit as far as her film directing career goes yeah, this is an insanely strong vision. Um, and, uh, you know, you, 
I would say that it is an actor showcase. It's not like dialogue heavy. I think we associate strong acting with the ability to memorize lines and deliver them. But mm-hmm. um, so much of this film is like these really tight close-ups, um, like just following characters around really, really closely, really intimately. Um, there are also like very long takes of just like watching characters and mm-hmm. um, like seeing how they're they're sort of taking in the scenes around them, um, which I mean puts a lot of pressure on the actors because they always have to sort of be thinking in character. Um, it is that I, internal acting, which is yeah. some of the best acting you'll see is when it's internalized, right? It's an yeah, it's yeah. an acting showcase for sure, but it, it is not it, it, it is it is not showy in in the like she she isn't putting the onus on the actors alone to tell the story like her camera work is also saying a lot which is like you said it's it's weird like coming into the director's sphere as an actor um she she's taking on a lot of the storytelling responsibility as the director um and and trusting and putting a lot of trust in her actors as well to, to sort of not just be guided by the whatever's written on the page because if you ever see a movie script it's not it's not rarely highly detailed about what a character is supposed to be thinking moment by moment um so there, there's it, it's 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 this kind of very weird experience where um you have the the actor turned director folk focused more on the filmmaking craft than the guiding actor's bit by bit um i mean it, it there had to have been like a lot of trust on set and i think that's a very collaborative atmosphere too like there, there's a lot of trust for um between actor and director here that i think um shows a lot of confidence for sure and it like you said it's such an interesting story it's a psychological mm-hmm. drama and it's like inside olivia coleman mm-hmm. excellent performance in the lead and it's inside her head and you, little by little things get revealed there's flashbacks but so much of it is, are the silences or the brief conversations um she's on vacation she's a professor and translator and she's on vacation in greece she's english but she's on vacation in greece mm-hmm. and she's there on the beach in this staying in this villa and she's on this beach and she's interacting with um this family that <laughs> you, you feel has family. like has like mob undertone you know like they're connected or something right the, they're like probably from jersey shore mobsters or something <laughs> right and but it's not you know you'd see in a TV show nowadays, a critically acclaimed TV show would probably have a lot more frills and like these characters would be more over the top and stuff. But this is just so like at the psychological level, which Mm -hmm. is really cool about it. And the fact that just with these brief interactions, she, she gauges things. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Lita, which is the name of Olivia Coleman's character. And she talks with, uh, young mother on the beach dakota johnson mm-hmm. who, who's sort of fed up with her with her daughter 
Yeah, to put um, it mildly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's fed up with her daughter. Her daughter runs away on the beach, or or she's uh, wanders off, and everyone's looking in a mad hunt for her. And then Lita finds the daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and and uh, brings her back. So she's sort of like a hero. Mm-hmm. But then you just so much is revealed in the character, and just a little dialogue. So she returns the daughter, and um, everyone's thankful for her. Dakota Johnson, like. Thank you so much. Bring my daughter back. And then Olivia Coleman just says, yes, I know what a crushing responsibility being <laughs> yeah. a parent is. And then it just says so much because you just like, it, it's like so dark. The fact that, you know, this isn't like, oh, I'm glad to bring your daughter back. She's so beautiful here. You it's like, I know it's a crushing responsibility. Yeah. And that, that, that leads into this world where you see the flashbacks and just, Another excellent performance by Jesse Buckley mm-hmm. as the young mother mm-hmm. and, you know, her struggles with with motherhood and, you know, how 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 frustrating it is, even though they show the good good times and everything and we're right. having fun. And then just the frustration with it because she's so focused on her career and mm-hmm. and how she she's sort of tied down by these kids and you don't see that too often in films. Right. And it's kind of like, it's makes brave choices and just the film makes yeah brave choices and just sort of dark choices. And mm-hmm. like you said, one minute, um, the lady character is really doing something sort of, sort of ominous or actions. And then the next she's like laughing and giggling and having a good time or, dancing at the part at a party and singing but mm-hmm. there's always something just you know there's something deeper there's like this real tragedy inside her right that mm-hmm. you can feel throughout and so much is delivered through the camera work through the close-ups mm-hmm. through the acting through brief bits of dialogue mm-hmm. and uh i think yeah I, I think definitely it's real confident first feature and and the the acting's just is incredible in that internal sense right not in the you know they're strong acting in a variety of different ways like i thought like nicole kim in this year was great in being the ricardos and that sort of you know in the you know the sort of showy dialogue right a tat tat but this is mm-hmm. this is really a penetrating portrait um mm-hmm. with little talking and just 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 excellent atmosphere about it first let me just say i did not read the family as like mobbed up i read the family as like obnoxious (laughs) as like toxically obnoxious (laughs) um but um to, to add to what you're saying like it's all point of view um there's never any like there's no confrontation in the end with lita and her daughters like there's no kind of like build up conflict in that like is she like feeling regret about what happened um you know on the other hand like she is talking to them on the phone so maybe there's no like hard feelings or maybe they got past like her like there was a period where she had basically abandoned her family for three years um and she 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 tells nina later on that she has no regret about that um but you know maybe it's something that she got over um or the family like got over made amends about and moved on um 
the other thing that struck me was like she's watching Nina interact with her kid and she's watching Nina interact with her husband and we learn so little about Nina in the course of the film and a lot of what we learn what we think we learn about Nina is through Lita's eyes mm-hmm and you, you're, you know, as she's watching Nina, she's having these flashbacks to her difficult um, times with her kids. Also, the good times, as you said, but mostly the like difficult times as she's like trying to work and the kids are rambunctious and acting up and playing. Um, but how much of that? I mean, how much of the flashback is maybe, maybe she like enhancing like the very worst memories like how how much of that is like she's making the memory seem more miserable than it was and along with that how much of that is she stapling onto what she's observing from afar mind you with Mm -hmm. nina's relationship and then these like couple of conversations she has with nina you know how much of this is is she is lita um superimposing from her own past onto Nina and maybe Nina's just having a moment maybe Nina's just having a crappy vacation and why wouldn't yeah. you being trapped on like the at the end of Greece with your obnoxious relatives <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it, I mean and the husband's in and out too like it's implied like he's doing business while they're on vacation so he's gone a couple of days he comes back and he goes out again maybe he is mobbed up maybe that makes sense now but the- yeah because they <laughs> but- say at one point if they if she's caught cheating, he'll slit her throat. I think is. Um, well, I mean, that could just be toxic masculinity, yeah, regu- yeah. regular toxic masculinity. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I was thinking about that the whole, not the whole time, but like after it was over, it's like you know what? We don't really see Nina on her own. We are always seeing Nina through Lita's eyes. So anything else could be going on with Lita. Or, or with Nina, the other 23 hours of the day. <laughs> yeah, it's just projecting, Lita projecting like her past onto this situation. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's, uh, it, yeah, it's it's just so blunt with how, how she feels. Like, and she even says she left her children for three years and went mm-hmm. back when she finally missed them. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it's, she's just almost like almost too honest with her life. <laughs> you know, it's like, you have to, you have to compromise in your life. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. and there, but there's also a shame, right? She, yeah. she, she, the, the scene near the end where she says to Nina, Oh, I'm selfish. And this is, yeah. it's just, it's so matter of fact. Um, but it, it's, it's a confession she can only make to Nina. She can't like talk to this other woman who uh, I think it's Nina's uh, sister-in-law who's pregnant and is kind of like the one conducting this family vacation. Um, it's something she could never like just she can be like snarly and <laughs> sarcastic with this with the sister-in-law, but she can never make that confession. Oh, I'm selfish, um, which. You know, as, as a general sense society frowns on selfishness but Mm -hmm. it is a an instinct we all have and the movie is not shy about confronting 
selfishness and saying, yeah, some of these characters may be selfish. Lita is selfish. She said she's selfish. Nina may be selfish. We're not 100% sure. Young Lita, probably a little more selfish than older Lita. But like the kids who come into the theater and start raising heck, they're selfish. Um, It's, you know, the, the Ed Harris character to an extent. I mean, it's essentially implied he's abandoned his family. He's kind of on permanent vacation and this this end of Greece, you know, yeah. he's selfish. It's I, I hesitate to say it's a celebration of selfishness, but it, yeah. it, 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 it does. It is definitely confronting selfishness yeah. in a way a lot of movies would not. Yeah, it's a cold, hard look at selfishness. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. It's to me, it's like a thriller mm-hmm. that where where that that action doesn't happen where that you know that that climax of violence doesn't truly happen although there is some violence Mm -hmm. um and around the missing doll basically it's Mm -hmm. like what's going to happen when they find the doll Mm -hmm. you know it's Mm -hmm. just this sense you know there's like this sense of menace it's just it's like what's going to happen here when they find that doll and i think they do deliver some details throughout where okay this obnoxious family <laughs> there's something else here right they're mm. uh they're they're probably organized crime or you know it's what i sensed and so i'm just like despite selfish actions i'm i'm you know i'm worried for these char- the character right mm-hmm. i'm worried about what what's going to happen here and it never ed harris is there you know he sees the situation doesn't say anything yes that was so weird he sees you know? the ball and doesn't say anything it is so weird yeah but- <laughs> and then you're like will he talk to somebody but no he doesn't seem like he will but it's just uh-huh. it, it's like there's this danger there um and it it doesn't really come to a head until she admits how selfish she is right and then and then you wonder, you know, what's going to happen next? And it's like it's, this weird social experiment gone. I was going to say gone wrong, but did it go wrong or did it go right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just a bit of fun, right? She says. Yes. Just, yes. She does that's say that. her yes. idea of fun, right? It's like. Making the little girl cry for <laughs> days is a little fun. It's a little bit of fun. Yeah. Amazing amazing (laughs) yeah it's it's pretty wild when you think of it right like just because you're like with the character so you're like okay um you know you feel empathy for her she's there on her own you you expect redemption though you expect there to be some like it's the typical hollywood thing like when the moment she says well i'm selfish you expect like that to be an epiphany it's not an epiphany she's just being honest yeah i'm a selfish prick (laughs) i stole this doll have a nice day i guess (laughs) Oh, you want to cheat on your husband in my apartment? Sure, go for it. <laughs> well, she objected a little bit at the start, but then you wonder if if that's because she doesn't want her cheating on her husband or if she really liked Will, right? Because Will was really flirting with her earlier on. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So she might be jealous that she's not with Will, right? So And there's this push-pull, right? Because um, she's 48. She's feeling old, but everybody she kind of encounters like ed harris like the older ed harris and the younger will are like oh you can't we were we were we were thinking like oh you must be around 40 instead of closer to 50 so i mean there's there's this kind of like 
sexual tension, um, especially like ideas about older women not being sexual too, which is um, which the movie is playing with as well. Yeah, and I, I was thinking something was probably going to happen with Will after they went out for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then... And he compliments her, yeah. right? He compliments her on um, not giving up her seat at the beach so the family could all sit together, which is yeah. a great, it's a, it's a great scene. I'd love this. I love those. Uh, it, it reminded me of the scene in seven psychopaths, odd, odd connection. I know, but um, where, <laughs> where Christopher Walken is just walking up to the diner and, and the gangsters see him and they pull out their guns and they tell him to get his hands up. And he goes, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, why not? I don't want to. But I have a gun. Too bad. Yeah, what are you <laughs> gonna do? Yeah. It's. I mean, it's such a. It's, I, I love those little seeds that play against like the conventions. And she walks up and says, "Hey, would you mind like switching seats?" No, I'm good here. <laughs> <laughs> and then the shocked look on the face. And the then shocked look. Yes. Yeah. And then Will with at dinner with later later says they're bad people, but he's like yes. praising her. But then they're bad people, and then that just continues to be ingrained in the movie as it goes on but but again does he mean they're like bad like objectively bad or does he just mean like he works at this resort and he deals with like horrible people all the time and they're just like horrible in a customer service context and not horrible in like as compared to the rest of humanity context (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I was taking it in the darker realm and that made it even scarier yeah like a horror movie at that point yeah what's gonna happen here yeah but uh yeah i I, yeah i think really good supporting performances like ed harris like who you mentioned Mm -hmm. um you know no, just anything he's in, he sort of like adds some integrity to it. I find it's just he's got a really good presence about him. And then Jesse Buckley, I think mm-hmm. she's she's an amazing actress, and I'd like to see her in more and more stuff. And I'm glad she is go back to our conversation about the Oscars. I'm glad she was nominated. I actually hope she wins. I think she's she's a great actress. Think of like Wild Rose, and um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of ending things, and now this. Um, mm-hmm. it's terrific yes um, it has been a long time in coming um, her ascension um, I, I think Wild Rose was a big miss in 2018 19 when that came out um, mm-hmm. because yeah, I mean she is so great in that movie and the, the music is so great in that movie speaking of music too I, I, I like the light kind of jazzy kind of <laughs> <laughs> of, of soundtrack and which again plays against um plays against like the tone of the lot like you know something you know discomforting happens and then you switch to the next scene and the like jazzy music is back <laughs> yeah. um and then the the uh the cinematography too by helen levart who is a, a french cinematographer and a lot of like the really best cinematographers right now i feel are like women from france um mm she you know there again it plays against the tone of the movie because it's in the, the sunlight it's you know southern greece but everything kind of is like kind of blanched out sunny um kind of earthy feel and but i mean the, the emotion and everything that's going on is so dark but it's in this like oppressive sunlight this, this you know so, it reminds me of like sunlight's the best disinfectant I'm like well not here it isn't um, <laughs> Because yeah. it just it, it it like further contrasts like 
here is this like beautiful seaside beach. Uh, the weather is lovely. Um, it, it, it seems to be like maybe not a point in summer where things are like terribly hot yet. It seems kind of temperate and nice and relaxing. And, um, and but, you know, this beach is populated with some of the most selfish people you'll ever encounter. <laughs> it's, it certainly looks nice. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, this movie loves its contrariness and um, it manages to hold it together well, which I guess I think I guess is a really is, is a tribute to Maggie Gyllenhaal. I'm kind yeah. of it's it's too bad she wasn't nominated for best director. I mean, she was nominated for screenplay. I think that's probably a lock because um, the Oscars love actors who play outside the sandbox but i i am kind of disappointed she didn't get that oscar nom because i think that would have been i mean this is maybe one of the stronger directorial debuts um in recent history that i can think yeah yeah and it's it's based on a novel by elena ferrante Mm -hmm. and i did some research and that's a pseudonym Nobody knows who the true Elena Ferrante is. Interesting. She's been writing novels since 1992. Mm. Um, and there's a lot in Italy. Uh, they had a lot of a lot of experts studying the material to fi- try to figure out who it is. And they narrowed it down to a woman who's a writer and a translator mm. or her husband. And then, mm. <laughs> and then, <laughs> but then Elena Fronte puts stuff out in the media, right? Under that name. And she's like, no, I'm a woman. Why is gender so important? So it was, it was it's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And so there might be more novels by Elena Fronte hitting, hitting the big screen in the future as well. So it'd be interesting to see, to compare that, to mm-hmm. compare that novel to the film. Um, but yeah, I, I hope Maggie Joan Hall's a lock for that one, for that award. And mm-hmm. yeah, it would have been nice to see her as get a directing nod as well. But mm-hmm. but you know, it, it is what it the is. Oscars but... don't know everything, as we as we said earlier. So no, and it, 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 it yeah. there is kind of a feeling to um to to go just revisit our Oscars discussion before we sign off. You know, the it will be interesting if power of the dog as the out front like sort of leader of the pack so to speak with 12 nominations um jane campion the director there um it would be interesting if she did win um that would be two years in a row a woman has won best director which mm-hmm. um i mean that's i mean <laughs> in in the broad scheme of social progress i mean that's small potatoes but i mean it, in in given the you know 94 year oscar history two women have won best director to have two women um win two years in a row that's that that would be something would have been nice if maggie gyllenhaal was in the race but it is what it is yeah i think jane campion will deserve it she'd be my pick but then still waiting to see licorice pizza or is he up for it i don't know yeah paul thomas Anderson. yeah so yeah yeah we'll have to wait and see because that's the end of this week's show we hope you liked it and if you want to listen to it again you can find it on our website and creditsradioshow.com you can download it on the guelph politicast channel every friday at podbean or through your favorite podcast app at apple stitcher google TuneIn, and spotify and when you're on spotify you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on the show 
Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Tim, where can people find you on the internet? On the internet, uh, Flash in the Deadpan on social media. That was very direct. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Please check me out and uh, (laughs) interact. And uh, I've been doing a lot of Wordles lately, so let me know how you're doing on your Wordles. Well, well, haven't we all? And there's Bartles too, which is Shakespearean. So (laughs) I watched Tragedy of Macbeth and did a Bartle. That helped. So. <laughs> good, to, good to know. Uh, I will be back on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. And you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. We shall return next week for another edition of End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. In the meantime, more great programming coming up. But until next Wednesday at 3, we will see you next time.